Brothers and sisters, we are reminded of the promises of the gospel as we come to worship God this morning. Uh, we don't have to do so on the strength of our own righteousness in the past week. Uh, that's, that's not the, the reason that we get to be here this morning, but we, we come here in the forgiveness and grace of, of God through Jesus Christ. And that's the only reason uh, that any of us could ever be here. Uh, but it's a wonderful reason to rejoice and, and praise our God also this morning. Having heard, then, God's great promises, let's now also open God's Word for our Scripture reading. Our Scripture reading this morning comes from two places in the New Testament. Uh, First of all, from 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter 1. Verses 1 through 9. Our text this morning will be verses 3 through 9. That's what we'll be focusing on. Uh, So we'll first read that text and then we'll read one uh, other supporting text. 1 Peter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, You love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So far, our scripture reading from uh, 1 Peter 1. Let's also turn now to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians 4, where the Apostle Paul speaks of some of those trials that Peter referred to, uh, and he speaks of them in greater detail. 2 Corinthians 4, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. 
For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written. I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So far, the reading of God's Word. As we reflect on what we've read, let's sing together from Psalm 34, stanzas 6 and 7. The text to which we'll be paying attention this uh, morning is 1 Peter chapter 1, the verses 3 through 9. I won't read those again just now because we will work our way through them uh, over the course of the sermon, but you might be helped by having them open in front of you. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, in these uh, first sections of the letter from the Apostle Peter, uh, Peter takes the time to lay out uh, what's going to be the major theme of his letter, uh, the main idea, the big idea that he wants to communicate to these scattered and suffering and persecuted Christians. Uh, So these, uh, by way of preface, are also going to be some of the big ideas that we want to be working through uh, in this series. We saw uh, a a preview of that last week. We're going to get into the meat of it now uh, this week. Uh, So let me just start by setting before you the big idea of our text. And then we'll spend the rest of this morning unpacking it and and working it out. Uh, The big idea is this. The Christian life is a life that is characterized by rejoicing in hope while grieving in trials. It's a fairly simple uh, proposition, though a difficult one at the same time. The Christian life is a life that is characterized by rejoicing in hope while at the same time grieving in various trials. Uh, You can see that encapsulated in verse 6, where he says, In this you rejoice, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. There's that rejoicing in the gospel hope and grieving in various trials. 
And that's the big idea then that we want to also work through this morning, uh, because how we understand this and work this out does have huge implications for, for what we think and how we live the Christian life. Uh, Peter then begins with the gospel message, which is the reason for that rejoicing in hope. Uh, you see that in verses 3 through 5. Uh, He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, which is kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now there's a lot uh, packed into those three verses. Uh, what Peter is, is doing then is he's reminding us right at the start of this letter of the gospel hope that we have. This is what brought these, these scattered Christians together. This is uh, what gave them their identity. Uh, and he knows they need to be reminded of that hope. Uh, he's reminding us of things we know, uh, but things that we should never get tired of remembering uh, because they are amazing and precious and truly life-changing truths. Uh, first of all, then, we exist as Christians by the mercies of God. Do you see that in, in verse 3? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to His great mercy. Not according to our great wisdom or according to our great uh, humility in accepting the gospel. It's rather according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Now, the only reason that you are a Christian and the only reason that I am a Christian is because of the mercies of God reaching down from heaven and choosing those that He chooses to be merciful to them and then causing them to be born again to a living hope. Uh, So first, we exist as Christians by the mercies of God. Uh, Secondly, in those same verses, uh, the ground and the basis for the new life that we have as Christians is is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to stop on that point for just a moment and and just dwell on that, uh, because this is something that's very easy for us to miss, uh, but it was so central to the apostles in the New Testament church. Uh, most of us, if we're asked, what's the reason for your hope, uh, would probably be more inclined to say something about the death of Jesus Christ for our sins. Uh, but here, Peter focuses especially on the resurrection of Christ. If someone were to ask him, why are you a Christian? Or what's your compelling reason uh, for being a Christian? Uh, The apostles and the early Christians would have responded immediately because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Uh, It was was, uh, them having seen the risen Christ, and for Peter in particular, having seen the risen Christ that really turned his world upside down. Uh, And for the other Christians, it was hearing the the reliable testimony of the other other witnesses, uh, the other apostles and eyewitnesses, uh, that totally changed their lives. It's the resurrection uh, that marked the, the turning point in history. Uh, from a world lost in sin and death to a world that's being renewed according to the life of God. 
so that's what Peter means when he says we're born again through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Having encountered that life-changing truth, it produces a whole new life. Thirdly, uh, he also says we are born again to a living hope. A living hope. And this is a big uh, theme in the letter of Peter uh, because Peter is writing towards the uh, later part of his life and towards the later part of that century uh, where some of these people have now been Christians for 30 or 40 years uh, and they're starting to wonder When is Christ going to return? When are these promises going to come to fruition? They had no idea that it was going to be another at least 2,000 years. They expected something much sooner. And so here Peter has to remind them uh, that no matter how long Christ chooses to take, it's a living hope, not a fading hope, not a dying hope, not a hope that's growing dim, but a living hope that we still have, that's kept in heaven for us. And it's grounded in that same fact that Christ has risen from the dead. That hasn't changed. That truth is still there, and that means our hope is still just as much alive as it was on the day that we saw Him with our own eyes. And then fourthly, uh, related to that, it's a hope that looks forward to an inheritance. You see that in verse 5. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Uh, That inheritance, uh, or at least part of that inheritance, is the resurrection of our bodies, just as Christ's body was was resurrected. Uh, And then our entrance into eternal life under the favor of God. That's our inheritance. And, And Peter wants us to know that's an inheritance you're not going to lose. It's an inheritance that is imperishable. It does not uh, die. Uh, Unlike uh, whatever you might in this earth, which the Christians in that moment were were starting to get used to losing. They were were getting used to everything else being perishing, being taken away from them. And he says, this this is something they can't take from you. This is something that cannot die. Uh, This is a hope that will not grow dim. Uh, No matter how long God chooses to delay, it's not uh, fading away. It is imperishable. Uh, so, so Peter wants us to just begin this letter before he even addresses the trials, which would have been forefront on the minds of his readers. Before he even speaks to those trials, he begins with their hope uh, so that they may, may appreciate the mercies of God in bringing them into a new life and giving them a, a new hope, a new identity, a new future uh, in Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, let us to begin with this hope. Uh, You are a new person by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, born again to a living hope that can't be taken from you. That's imperishable. Uh, You have a glorious inheritance in store for you that cannot be taken away. Uh, In this then, Peter says, in this you rejoice, even though for now, for a little while, you have been grieved by various trials. Now Peter addresses what's forefront on their minds. Uh, And here we come to this this main idea. The Christian life is a life that's characterized by rejoicing in hope while grieving uh, because of various trials. 
Now, you need to hear this. Every, every one of you needs to hear this. Uh, and, and we shouldn't be thinking uh, right away. Our, sometimes our minds go to someone else. We think, yeah, they're suffering with various trials. But Peter says, you. Uh, and I know he's talking to a church that, that was experiencing that. But there are members in that church who, who would have been less uh, grieving, less suffering than, than others. Uh, Peter's writing this to the whole church and, and so we, as the whole church, should hear this as well. Now, this is for you because he speaks of various trials. He's not just dealing with one specific thing. He's saying the Christian life, this life, is characterized by various trials of different kinds. Now, Peter is deliberately keeping this general because he knows we all experience grief from trials. They may be different, some may be more severe than others, uh, but we shouldn't be excluding certain trials from our minds and, and then failing to hear the message that he's bringing because we think, oh, I'm not, I'm not grieving from various trials. You are. Uh, and if you're not in this moment, you will be in this life. Uh, so even though Peter does have in, in mind particularly the trials of that come from persecution, uh, because that's what that church was going through, uh, that's not exclusively what he's speaking of. And even in this letter from Peter, that's not all that he deals with. Uh, he, he deals with other trials as well. He deals with uh, wives who are, who are married to domineering husbands. Uh, that, that's, that's a trial. Uh, Peter addresses that. Uh, or slaves. Uh, we can't begin to imagine the, the suffering that slaves went through in the Roman Empire. It was a miserable life. And, and some of these slaves ended up becoming Christians. These are various trials that aren't even necessarily persecution. It's just trials. Uh, so Peter is general, and we should hear him then also speaking to us. Uh, so do hear this because it is for you. If you look at your life uh, and you say, well, I haven't experienced all that many uh, trials, uh, at the very least, know that they are coming. They are. They are coming. Uh, for some of us, we're already experiencing them in, in great measure. Uh, but for others, they are coming. Your life won't be free from those various trials. Uh, for some of us, the trials might be uh, the loss of loved ones. It's, it's grief. It's real grief, uh, the, particularly the loss of, of children uh, or the loss of a husband or the loss of a wife. This, we grieve in this life. Uh, for, for others, too, the trials might be a longing for children that, that you've never had uh, or for more children that God hasn't, in, in God's wisdom, hasn't given to you. That We grieve. That, that's suffering. We, that hurts. Uh, for some of us, too, the trials are, are relational trials, uh, marital strife, uh, lack of intimacy, lack of, of, of oneness with, with our spouse, or, or breakdown in family relationships, betrayal, abandonment, abuse. We, we grieve with these various trials. Uh, for, for some, too, the trial is children who, who walk away uh, from the Lord, who stray from the faith in which they've been raised. That, that gives us pain. Uh, we, we grieve. Uh, two, the, the trials can be financial. Uh, some of the trials that Peter addresses are financially related in, in this letter. Uh, sometimes there's, there, we have debts we, we don't know how we're ever going to pay back, or financial pressures we don't know how we're going to meet. Uh, and we grieve. It hurts. 
Uh, the trials can be bodily, uh, whether it's chronic pain, chronic illness, uh, uh, bodily ailments that have no fix in, in sight, no end uh, in, in sight. Uh, it can be mental as well, whether it's depression or discouragement, uh, sometimes just apathy. That, that too is a, a trial, just a lack of, of feeling, a lack of, uh, of passion, uh, being burned out. Uh, these two are, are trials. Uh, for some of us, the, these trials can lead to, to even greater trials, leading to severe anxiety, severe depression. Uh, we grieve. Uh, so it, it's various trials that Peter wants to address because all of us will experience various trials in this life. Some very great, some of them perhaps more common uh, to all people. Uh, and, and some of us who, who perhaps have not yet experienced them uh, will have them in store for us and might be very surprised by the amount of suffering that God yet has in store for you. Uh, so what Peter does here is he acknowledges that we are genuinely grieved by these trials. We're grieved. Uh, Peter, uh, what he does here as, as a friend to these Christians, even before being an apostle, but as a friend to these Christians, he acknowledges the grief. He doesn't rebuke the grief. He doesn't uh, admonish them for, for grieving. Uh, he doesn't belittle that grief or brush it away. He acknowledges that grief. You know, there, there are immature and, and superficial forms of Christianity that assume that grief is inconsistent with the Christian life. Uh, they see commands uh, like we had just a, a verse before, to commands to rejoice, or at least statements that we rejoice, uh, and we take that to mean that Christians aren't supposed to experience grief in this life. Aren't you? you're, you're more than a conqueror in Christ, right? Uh, you shouldn't be grieving. We're, we're supposed to be winners, uh, as that mentality goes. Uh, and the culture in those kinds of churches uh, can easily end up being one where, where we're supposed to sing uh, only joyful songs and we're supposed to pretend that everything is well uh, and we live in denial about the fact that we are grieving uh, because we are grieving. Uh, that's the reality. We do grieve uh, in response to various trials. Uh, there are other false forms of Christianity, too, that, uh, where it's believed that if you truly love Jesus, Jesus fixes everything in your life. Jesus will fix everything that's broken. And it's just not true. Jesus doesn't promise to do that. Uh, he promises to walk with us through everything. Uh, but we really mislead people if we promise them that, oh, if you come to Jesus and you believe Jesus, he's going to fix uh, everything in, in your life or everything will go better or smoothly in your life. It won't. That's not true. Christ doesn't promise it. Uh, Christ himself endured affliction uh, more than probably any one of us. Scripture speaks of him as a, a man of sorrows uh, and acquainted with grief. He knows what it's like to suffer. Uh, and he promises to walk with us through the suffering, but he doesn't promise to keep us from the suffering and the grieving that accompanies that suffering. Now, there, there are different ways that people will respond to uh, suffering and grief. Uh, for some, it becomes anger and bitterness against God, uh, as in, how dare God do this to me? Uh, and that anger and that bitterness can, can very quickly be all-consuming. 
And it plays out in, in different ways. Sometimes it's, it's, it's just high-handed rebellion against God, uh, choosing a life uh, of, of sin that's openly lived in opposition to Him. Uh, but oftentimes it's more subtle, uh, but nonetheless real, where it plays out in a thousand little things, where we say, I deserve this. I've got this coming to me. Uh, God owes me one. Uh, and so we choose a, a life of a thousand small rebellions against God. Uh, and, and this kind of response to, to suffering, this living in bitterness and anger against God, uh, is ultimately self-destructive. Because we were made for relationship with God, to know God, to love Him, to live with Him. Uh, and, and to choose a life of bitterness is to destroy our very selves, because that's uh, working against the very thing for which we were created. Now, others, too, will respond to, to suffering with self-pity. Uh, and a person can live in self-pity for years, uh, sometimes even for a lifetime. And that, too, can be all-consuming. Uh, your pain defines you. It's, it's who you. It becomes who you are. Uh, and then instead of pursuing a, a life of, of, of faithfulness to Christ and obedience to God uh, and, and even growing uh, spiritually, in the midst of that pain, uh, we allow ourselves to just wallow in our pain, to just sit in our pain and misery, and we absolve ourselves of, of responsibility for uh, our lives. And that self-pity can also very often lead to envy, where we look around and we, 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 we have the sidelong glance. Why is that person's life so much better? Uh, why don't they suffer like I do? Why is their marriage uh, so good while mine is, is so miserable? Why are their kids so easy and mine so difficult? Uh, why do they get to have such a, uh, an easy time making ends meet where I suffer uh, daily to, to make that happen? Or, or why do they get a healthy body and I get a sick body? Why do they get an attractive body and I don't? Uh, we live with a resentment against others uh, because we're ultimately resenting God uh, for giving us these trials. Others, too, will respond by running to a functional Savior. And that can be drugs, can be alcohol, can be sex can be entertainment, sometimes it's, it's a job, uh, sometimes it's a relationship uh, with a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And, and what that is, is it becomes a false refuge. It's, it's a God to whom we turn for refuge. Uh, the Psalms often speak of, God is my strength, God is my refuge. Uh, and, and for some of us, when we suffer, we, we put something else in the place of God as our refuge. This will protect me. This will relieve me in the midst of my, uh, my suffering. Uh, and, and these functional saviors always promise that kind of refuge. Uh, they promise uh, pleasure, escape, uh, comfort. Uh, and inevitably, they fail time and again to provide what they promise. Uh, they bring greater misery and suffering. And so here, Peter, conscious of, of all these things, writes to this group of, of these scattered Christians, these scattered churches, these persecuted uh, believers who were suffering with various trials, some of them because of their faith, some just because of miserable circumstances. Uh, and he begins by acknowledging the reality of that trial. Now he says, you have been grieved by various trials. Uh, there, there is a legitimate grief 
where we are allowed and, and even invited to pour out our misery, pour out our grief before our God. Uh, Paul says elsewhere, uh, cast your anxieties uh, upon him. Uh, and so here Peter, even as he's writing to these Christians, is, is teaching them something of what it means to be a friend to those who are suffering by acknowledging and not rebuking the grief. Uh, but then he also uh, describes how as Christians we make use of the suffering that God gives us, knowing that it comes to us from God, from our Father, uh, who has in His mind His glory and our good. Uh, so we do grieve, but we also rejoice in the hope that's given to us. Again, verse 3, he says, Blessed, that's a worship word, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who causes us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Uh, and he goes on and says, In this you rejoice, even though for now, for a little while, you have been grieved by various trials. Uh, and it's, it's almost funny the way he says, uh, even though now for a little while. That's how he describes your life. That's your lifetime. For a little while, you're being grieved by, by various trials. Because Peter's writing with eternity in mind. And, and it's an eternity that's characterized by rejoicing far, far more than it is by grief. Uh, but here in this life, the Christian life is characterized by rejoicing in hope while grieving in various trials. He goes on in verse 8, then speaking of Christ, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not now see Him, you, again, rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Why? Why do we rejoice? Well, we rejoice, number one, as we saw, because we have um, a, a living hope and an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Uh, we rejoice because we have Christ, and our trials can't take Christ away from us. Uh, but Peter highlights a second reason as well in verse 8, uh, or, excuse me, in, in verse uh, 6 and 7, uh, for why we rejoice, and it's that God also uses those trials, for the furthering of His purposes, for His glory and our good. Uh, On that that first point, rejoicing in the hope that we have, uh, what we want to recognize in the way that Peter approaches this uh, is that we rejoice, as he says, with a joy that's inexpressible, uh, which, among other things, means it's, it's difficult to preach. Uh, It's inexpressible. Um, However, uh, it's inexpressible precisely because it accompanies the suffering while being greater than the suffering. And here's a a principle that that Peter teaches us. Uh, If it's inexpressible and filled with glory, it's greater than our sufferings. The word glory uh, literally means weighty. 
in, in, the, in the Old Hebrew, because uh, he's picking up a, a concept from the Old Testament, uh, the word glory and the word weight was the same word. Uh, it's weighty. So it's a joy uh, that is weighty. In other words, it outweighs the suffering. Now that doesn't cancel out the suffering. It doesn't take the suffering away. It simply outweighs it. Uh, the suffering is still there. The joy just weighs a lot more. Uh, that's the Christian life. Uh, it's not that we suffer less or grieve less than the world around us. In fact, oftentimes we grieve more than the world around us. It's not that the grief or sorrow is any less. It's that the joy that we have is so much more. Uh, we experience griefs that are heavy, uh, sometimes even heavier than the world around us, but in and through it all, because of Christ, we have a joy that is still even heavier. Uh, and, and that joy is rooted in the inheritance that we have in front of us. Uh, but then turning also to the, the other reason why we rejoice, verses 6 through 7, uh, he says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, we rejoice not only because we have uh, an inheritance that's unfading and imperishable uh, that can't be taken away, but also because we recognize that even the grief, even the trials and sufferings that God gives us, He gives uh, with a divine purpose to prepare us, uh, to, to refine our faith uh, and prepare us for that very salvation that He has in store for us, so that it would result all the more precisely because of the trials uh, in praise and glory and honor. Uh, those trials are serving a purpose in other words. Uh, the, the word in verse 6 is, is, is critical where he says, if necessary, you've suffered various trials, which means if you're suffering from various trials, in God's sight, it is necessary for you to be going through those trials. Uh, what, what that means is if we're experiencing trials, we're experiencing them because in the wisdom of God, He saw it as a necessary thing. Now you see that as well in the words, so that, uh, here in the same verse. They, they say the same thing. They, they express there's a purpose. There's a reason for the suffering. It's so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor. Uh, so understand, brothers and sisters, what Peter's showing us here. If God is putting you through fires it is precisely because he esteems your faith. He values your faith as something of greater value than your present comfort. And God sees your faith as more important, more valuable than your present comfort. As much as he loves you as a father, and, and we may even say grieves with you as you grieve. Uh, yet he values what he is accomplishing through your trials more than your present comfort. It is his purpose to purify, strengthen, and refine your faith because that's more important for him and for you. 
Now, we're familiar with this concept, uh, perhaps, of of refining gold uh, to improve the purity of gold that needs to be subjected to to great heat. Uh, And and when uh, when that happens, uh, what happens is that the impurities in that gold uh, will rise to the surface of of the the melted gold so that they can be scooped up and and removed. Uh, And what Peter is saying is when God... uh, puts us through fire, a similar thing happens to our faith. Uh, Under that extreme heat, the impurities of our faith, uh, the the grumbling, the worldliness, uh, the the self-centeredness, the the anger that we find showing up within us, uh, the unrest uh, within our souls, and and the short-sightedness by which we look to this earth alone, these impurities start rising to the surface. And it's, it's an unpleasant thing to have them rise to the surface. They become apparent. They become visible uh, so that God may remove them. Now, you, you hear this over and over in the testimonies of saints who've gone before, who've suffered great trials. Uh, they never say the trial was pleasant. It's not pleasant. Uh, in the heat of the trial, of course, we want it to end. Uh, but looking back after the trial and seeing how God changed them uh, and, and purified them in the trial, uh, how God made them stronger and, and purer and holier, uh, wiser, they can, they can say, and they do, with all sincerity, uh, I never wanted this, but looking back, I would not have it any other way. Because God was doing something in them that was of greater worth than their comfort. Uh, in the fire, God refines us. And he refines us because our faith matters to him. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, uh, the great British preacher from a couple of centuries ago, he listed uh, some of the ways that trials do this. And it's worth reflecting on, on these Uh, He said in the first place, suffering uh, like nothing else makes us sympathetic and gracious towards others. Uh, Because when we've suffered ourselves, we know how painful that suffering can be. Uh, When we see our our fellow Christian then uh, struggling in in the fires of of suffering uh, and and those impurities rising to the surface, uh, we, we don't... Uh, rebuke them harshly or, or coldly uh, or, or cruelly uh, because we ourselves are experiencing our own impurities rising to the surface. We're sympathetic and gracious. And he says as well, it makes us cautious and humble uh, because we know how, how often we ourselves also fail when we're suffering. Uh, when, when, we, when we haven't suffered much, we sometimes... Uh, are surprised at the, the amount of impurities and, and the, the uh, significance of those impurities that we see in our brother or sister's faith as those rise to the surface. Uh, we, we tend to judge. We tend to condemn. When we've suffered ourselves, we're much slower to condemn uh, because we know we didn't suffer all that well either. A lot of our own impurities also rose to the surface. And he said as well, suffering makes us thankful. Uh, Because when we suffer, we also come to remember, as Peter is helping us to do, to remember what matters most. Uh, We treasure Christ above 
all things because we know uh, that, that Christ is all that we have that will last into eternity. Uh, we, we, we treasure the inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled as everything else in our life perishes. Uh, we, we also know it, it produces thankfulness as well because we, we remember how much, uh, uh, how much Christ has done in spite of how little we have deserved it uh, and how quickly we can lose it all, uh, how quickly, excuse me, we can lose all that we have here uh, when, when, uh, when trials come. And so suffering makes us thankful for what God has given us that cannot be uh, lost. Uh, Fourth as well, suffering makes us hopeful. Uh, Perhaps that's counterintuitive, that suffering would make people hopeful. Uh, But it does because when when we've gone through a life of suffering and we've seen God carry us through it uh, and continue to sustain us in it for year after year, uh, sometimes decade after decade, uh, it gives us hope. Uh, that our sufferings do not take away what, what God uh, is doing for us. Uh, we can, uh, those who have suffered great things in the past can be of great comfort to those who are suffering great things in the present because they can uh, give hope. Uh, God will carry you through this uh, to the other side. Uh, that first experience of suffering can, can break a person uh, down. Uh, but those who have endured in the past can, can have almost a, a, a superhuman confidence to look forward uh, to the future and say, God's still going to carry us through. Uh, we're, this is not the final chapter. And even if they, they suffer for years, uh, they, they, they know that God has not uh, been unfaithful. God has not abandoned us. Uh, another thing, too, Spurgeon said that suffering makes us unworldly. It's not a word we use all that often, uh, but it means not overly attached to this world. Uh, because the Christian who suffered much simply knows this is a life of suffering. It's a life of toil. It's a life characterized uh, by, by grief. Uh, and a Christian then who, who suffers is not fooled like so many of the rest of us, by, by the promises of this world, the spirit of our age that says, no, it's a life of pleasure, a life of fun. Uh, the Christian who suffered much doesn't cling to this world because they know it's a world that is broken and a world that is perishing. Uh, and finally, uh, the last of, of these qualities, uh, I'm sure one could mention more, uh, but Spurgeon also mentioned how suffering makes us useful. Suffering makes us useful in God's service. Uh, The Christian who's suffered much knows how to comfort others uh, who are suffering, uh, knows how to teach others uh, how to be thankful, uh, how to serve in in humility, uh, and knows how to point others to the hope that we have and model what it's like to grieve while at the same time rejoicing. Uh, Suffering is one of God's tools to make us useful in His service. All of these are the sorts of things Peter's speaking of when he, when he speaks of our faith being refined in the fire. Uh, the, the impurities uh, and the immaturities will rise to the surface and, and they will be dealt with uh, by which God makes us purer, holier, uh, and more, uh, more prepared for our inheritance. Uh, God directs our eyes back to Himself. And he directs our eyes particularly to Christ, 
Because when we suffer, we remember Christ, who never had to suffer, suffered far more than ever I shall be called to suffer. Uh, uh, When we suffer... Uh, The one thing that would truly undo us, the one thing that would truly break us forever, is is God abandoning us. And God doesn't do that precisely because Christ endured that for us. Where God the Father, in the midst of His worst sufferings, turned His face away from His Son. Uh, and, and, And He had to cry out, Father, why have you forsaken me? Well, Christ was forsaken so that even in our trials we would not be forsaken by our Father. Uh, The one thing that would destroy us and truly make our suffering uh, meaningless and hopeless, uh, that one thing was experienced by Christ so that in our suffering, we can have hope and the comfort of our Father. Uh, So let me maybe just conclude with some words of encouragement, both to those who are suffering and perhaps also to those who uh, have not yet experienced suffering a great deal of suffering. Uh, To those who are uh, suffering trials in this life, uh, let let this text be an encouragement to you that you may know that in the midst of your suffering, your Father has a purpose for your suffering. Uh, This is why we need to know that it comes from our Father's hand because without that comfort, uh, that suffering becomes empty. It becomes uh, meaningless and then it becomes truly unbearable. But when we know that it comes from our Father's hands uh, with His good purposes in mind, uh, then then we can truly rejoice in the midst of them uh, and recognize that God is doing something good for us even through them. Nothing will bring us closer to God and more dependent upon His grace than the sufferings uh, that He gives us. Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, once said, perhaps you've heard the quote, uh, that God uh, speaks to us in our joys, but he shouts at us in our sufferings. Uh, He makes us aware of his presence uh, like like almost nothing else can do. Uh, We can compare that with the way the world endures sufferings with no hope. No purpose in mind. It's, it's empty. It's meaningless. It comes with no good reason. And as a consequence, and we see this, the world wastes the sufferings that the world experiences. There's nothing to do with them but suffer. Uh, Well, Christians have the opportunity to use our sufferings, both for the glory of God, to to highlight the weightier nature of our hope, as well as for our own growth, as we see God working on us in those sufferings. To those who have not yet suffered all that much in this life, uh, take to heart, too, what Peter is saying here, that your sufferings, uh, when they come, are not an obstacle or interruption to your joy. We tend to think that way, uh, that, that when sufferings come, this is somehow an obstacle to our joy. It's not. It's a means uh, of God uh, to, to your joy. Uh, that doesn't mean we go pursuing suffering. We don't go looking for it. Uh, Peter does say, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. But it does mean that we don't need to flee from suffering. We don't need to avoid it at all costs, as we sometimes do. Uh, Sometimes that's the reason uh, that we we can say we haven't experienced a lot of suffering, because every time God's called us to a place that will require some suffering, we flee from it. Uh, 
suffering is not something to flee from, uh, but something to embrace as God gives it to us because we know he's doing something good uh, with it. So we can pursue God's callings uh, in, in, in different ways, uh, unafraid of the suffering uh, that may accompany those callings. Uh, whether we've suffered much or little, then uh, we should know we will suffer. And may it then be that these, these momentary afflictions, as Paul calls them in 2 Corinthians 4, uh, may serve to remind us of our deepest and highest treasure, indeed our only lasting treasure, which is the inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded by faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Amen.